All right, you've done it before. I think this is week three. Why don't you just take a second to do some a good Christian calisthenics of walking around, hugging on people. Uh, introduce yourself if you uh, haven't seen anybody. Just so you know, uh, Craig Courtney is back from ISU. That's right. Uh, so he loves hugs. Uh, so love on Craig. Uh, Christian Bitter over there. He's back taking Thanksgiving break. Same with Christine up here. So welcome back our college students for a little bit. Uh, love on each other. Introduce yourself if you haven't had a chance to introduce yourself. Let's do that for a couple minutes. Casey Warren, again, a couple minutes, two minutes. All right, so stand up and introduce yourself and love on each other. Why don't, you have a, ooh, why don't you have a seat? Well, hey, I, I wanted to... Uh, could you pull me down just a little bit, Matt? I'm scaring myself up here. Um, just wanted to... It, it's always good to get encouragement. And um, yesterday we had uh, a finance meeting uh, for in leadership community where we talked about tithes and offerings. And, um, and you know what? I walked away from that just really encouraged, even though... Sometimes I go, oh, Lord, what are you going to do with uh, how, how are we going to make all things meet and how are we going to do this? Um, and in that, uh, there was just uh, people communicating one after another uh, their love for, for Jesus, their love for the church, the mission that we're on. And it was just this resonating, oh, yeah, way to go. And then um, I, I got, uh, while we were doing that, uh, I went out and picked up the mail and uh, I just saw something from Rosalind, and I go, uh, I'll let it wait. Usually I get these things from Joe asking for more money. And so it's like, okay, we just got out of a finance meeting. I don't need to, like, bombard with another request for money. But um, it was a, a letter from Laura Tenclay. And Laura is the volunteer coordinator for Rosalind Christian Ministries. And this is what she said, and it's addressed to you, your friends at Missio Day. As I reflect on the partnerships built this past year, Missio Day is the first that comes to mind. Isn't that cool? I'm so grateful that the Lord has crossed our paths and allowed us to live life together in so many different ways this past year. We have been so blessed by your involvement in playing games on Monday nights uh, at the shelter, spending Saturday work days with the Homes Ministry, organizing the awesome Camp Manitoba Day for the shelter families, providing generous book bags for our community, funding our after-school program, worshiping together, 
and developing relationships within the Roseland community. Thank you for so visibly sharing Christ's love with our community. It's truly a blessing to have partners to walk with as the Lord works to redeem His city. Your partnership with our ministry is important to us. Let us know how we can serve your church community. And please contact us if you have any questions or ideas on how we can partner together at Roseland Christian Ministries. Sincerely, Laura. That's you. That's you allowing God to work in your lives, in your time, your talents, your treasures, for the sake of another ministry. So, thank you for serving faithfully, selflessly. Uh, Some of you haven't been down there, but you have been giving financially, praying for. Everybody's been contributing somehow. So, thank you. Uh, I want to let you know that the first Sunday in January, first Sunday in January, is going to be a big Sunday here. Roseland is coming here. They're worshiping with us. Instead of us going into the city, they're coming out to the burbs. And uh, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do that together. And that is going to be, it's going to be fun. Uh, and then we got another time set up in the summer where we're going to worship together and picnic together at Camp Manitoba which is going to be another good time on mutual ground, if you will. And then again in the fall, we'll be worshiping with them in the city. So we got three times set up of worshiping together, loving on each other. Uh, but I, I just thought that you need some encouragement. Um, and I, I want to pat you on the back and say, well done, good and faithful servants. You're doing good. And if there's any way that you feel that God is calling you or you need more information about serving Monday nights, you know, talk to Elizabeth, talk to Steve, Laura, uh, if you're interested in, uh, if you've got any kind of building skills, talk to John Meskus uh, to serve down there in any way. If you, if you want to try to figure out how to worship together, uh, what that could look like for that, that first Sunday in January, uh, talk to Todd Pabin because we're ta- trying to figure out how do we incorporate them into, just like we were incorporated into their worship service, how do we incorporate them into our worship service? So if you're interested in serving and finding ways to build bridges, there's plenty of ways to do it. Well, today is, I kind of shared uh, this morning, before you showed up, we, we pray. And I, I shared this morning that um, I've, I've got a little bit of relief and yet depression this morning. This is week 63 for me in the Gospel of Mark. Way back in September of 2007, uh, Missio Day and um, Peace Community Church started working through the Gospel of Mark. Peace Community Church finished in uh, by Easter of 2008. We're finishing now. If that says anything. So it's been a real slow, arduous journey towards the end, discovering who is this Christ that we follow and uh, looking at what is the gospel, how do we see the gospel unwrapped. And if we believe what Paul said in Corinthians, that the gospel is Christ's life, his death, his burial and resurrection, today is the culmination. It's the capstone. It's the, this is it. This is, this is the, what Mark was trying to say is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. But uh, before I, I close it up, 
because I feel like this is going to be my last opportunity uh, to really talk about Mark. Um, Some of you have been in it since 2007. Some of you have been in it for a week or two, a month. I want you to take take a chance, a risk, uh, and I want you just to take 15, 20 seconds. And if there was um, a message, a theme, a thing that jumped out at you and you go, oh my gosh, that has impacted how I think about this. I want you to share it. And I know this this sets me up for disaster because this is like the teacher's final exam. Has anything impacted you? And actually, it's not me. It's it's the good news. Jesus Christ is the one that should be impacting you. I'm just a messenger. Uh, So I want you to, hopefully, um, I want you to think and then share out loud. What is it? What sermon? What thing has jumped out at you in the past 60-some weeks of the Gospel of Mark? So think for a little bit. And share. And share loudly. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Good. Matt. Could have been a tithing sermon, but it was a, a life sermon. What else? Anything else? Deb. Mm. Sweet. Christian. Anyone else? Okay, sir. 
dropped the ball? Oh, absolutely. Thank God for grace. Anything else? Steve. using you. Yeah. Good. Anyone else? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just these stunning moments where people are are astonished or they're just trembling or they're just amazed and how Mark just constantly throws those things in of they're seeing glimpses of God in their midst, and they're just audacious. That's a, I like that. Anything else? Well, well, today what we're doing is we are wrapping this up, and this is, um, you know, part of me uh, I, I've talked about before. Um, maybe maybe it's just been more personal conversations about uh, Easter is always considered for for pastors Easter and Christmas. Uh, are considered the Super Bowl Sundays for pastors. It's like, oh, you, you know, you get to share the, the resurrection story, the birth of Christ, and those are like the Sundays that a pastor is never out of town because those are the big Sundays. You don't want to miss that game time. Well, this is, for me, the, the, we're wrapping this up, and this is, this is uh, critical to our faith. Uh, the, the resurrection, if the resurrection had not happened, we're foolish. We're not following after the Messiah. We're not following after the Christ. Maybe the Jews were right in the first place. And so for this to happen and for us to not grapple with what this means for us personally, it's critical that we just wrap our arms around it and embrace it and run with it and that it transforms us from just average life Joes to those who worship fully with our lives. Our lives are just vibrant because of the life, the death, the burial, burial, and the resurrection. Because the resurrection is where the hope is found. The new life is found. So read with me from uh, Mark chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, grab one. They're in the aisles. Um, it's on page 853. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but today I am going to just focus on 1 through 8 because there's enough to unpack there for... Uh, couple weeks. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, James and Salome uh, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away from us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. 
He is not here. See the place they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. They were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those whom had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and that had been had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared to another another form to two in another form to two of them as they were walking in, into the country, and they went back and told the rest. But they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and the hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up, taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Three women showed up very early in the morning. Their hearts were still heavy. Their Sabbath, which was a day to be focused on, on what the Lord had done, resting in His goodness, their hearts were just heavy, just burdened that the one that they had followed after very closely for three years, the one that had, uh, had released them, specifically Mary, from seven demons, he, the, the, this Messiah was dead. They watched the Romans crucify Him. They saw Him breathe His last breath and die. They watched as, at a distance as Joseph of Arimathea, wrapped the body of Christ. And their Sabbath was filled with heaviness. How could this be? This is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not the way it was supposed to end. He was supposed to bring back the kingdom. He was supposed to be the, the promised one. The one that all of Scripture was pointing forward to. This was supposed to be the one. He was it. And so as they were going back, they wanted just another moment with the Christ to anoint His body with oils, to honor Him as He had been honored at the table with His feet anointed with oil. It was their last opportunity to love Christ. And as they were going there, they kept asking themselves, 
We've got to do this. We've got the stuff. But who's going to roll back the stone? I don't know. Who's going to roll back the stone? Women's workout world, we should have been there the whole time. We should have been working out. We should have anticipated this. We should have known. Who's going to roll back this stone? Who do we go ask? We can't ask the Romans because if we do this, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be one of those. We can't ask the religious leaders because word's going to get out that we believed and that we want to honor this common criminal. Not just a common criminal, the one who said he was the Messiah. We can't ask them, who's going to roll back the stone? Who's going to do this? Because we need to worship and adore and love the Christ. And can you imagine? And still the dark, darkness, the light just coming, the first morning light coming out. Coming around. And the tomb was open. tomb was wide open. And I love how Mark says it here. And looking up, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. It's like Mark saying, it's not like it just a pebble just rolled. It was huge. And these women are going, who did this? Because they watched the stone rolled in front of the tomb. They watched it being sealed with a wax and the insignia pressed in and saying, no one shall open this. And they get there after talking this whole time. And it's open. It's, it's, it's wide open. They saw that it was open. And entering the tomb. Because, you know, there's got to be this amazement of what's going on here. And entering into the, the front part of the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white. And if you were a good Jewish reader, you, you would be going, I know who that is. That's an angel. Angels are timeless beings that are normally, they, throughout Scripture, dressed in white. There's this, just this radiance about them. And so they walk into the tomb wondering, who, what, what has happened? The stone has been rolled away, and it's a huge stone. And they walk in, and there sitting is an angel, just glowing. And the first thing that he says is, do not be afraid. I can see it. I can see it in your eyes. There is fear. Your hearts are pounding. Your hearts are pounding. I knew this was going to be happening. Don't be afraid. You are looking for Jesus Christ who was crucified, right? That's who you're looking for. You're looking for the Jesus who had nail marks in his hand. He was, he was flogged till his back was nothing but just shreds. You're, you're looking for the one that, uh, that was wrapped up, that, that, was, uh, that was adorned with oil and myrrh and just cared for. You're looking for the one that was crucified, right? He's not here. He's not. And it's not a practical joke. He's risen. In the Greek, it's one word. Risen! He's not here. He's risen. Risen. And their heart had to just beat even harder. What do you, what do you mean? 
He's, he's risen? Yeah, he's risen. And he says this, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? Risen! He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Look, he was here. You watched from a distance. Right there. That's where he was. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And they went out and fled from the tomb. He said, listen, Jesus is going before you. And He's going to see you there. Be there. Tell the disciples. And tell Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter that He will meet you there. Now go. And their hearts are beating in unbelief in fear, in astonishment, in what is going on, all the emotions of of joy, of fear, of astonishment, of excitement, and and, and the reality that He is not here. Everything. It's, it's, I don't, what do I do? I I don't dare tell anybody because this is ridiculous. This is, how can I tell people that He's, He's risen, He's dead, and we saw Him, He was in the tomb. But the angel told us to go tell the disciples that He's going to meet us in Galilee. He's going ahead of us and He will meet us there. Tell Him. Tell Peter. As I'm wrestling through this, <laughs> there's all kinds of things that just pop out. And especially this, this last 6, 7, and 8 for me are just they're just weighty things. As we look at the Gospel of Christ's perfect life, His wrath, absorbing death, His burial, and now His resurrection. And that's all good news. And the angel is saying, listen, go tell. And Jesus is going to meet you there. See, Christ is alive. Breathing. Walking. He has conquered the grave. The other Gospels give this, these huge pictures of... Uh, the, basically, the, the stone was blown off and the, that the, the Roman soldiers that were there fell like dead men. They're just like... <laughs> Out cold. Christ conquered the grave. After three days in the grave, He conquered it. And said, listen, my death, I took care of your death. I sat in the grave. I proclaimed that there is justice and that there is power in my even my death. And let me tell you, Easter's here. I have conquered the grave and that there is now life for you. 
There is life for you. Tell Peter. And throughout this, I, I find myself very closely identifying with Peter. Peter is the big mouth. He, he shoots from the, the hip all the time. And he's kind of that Casey Warren, you know, he just kind of shoots and he hopes he hits something. And Jesus all, this, all the time goes, get behind me, Satan, you idiot. You know, oh, you missed it again. Oh, I, I applaud your, your, your vim and vigor, but, you know, no, you're not listening. And Jesus here, after the resurrection, says, tell the one who has denied me three times, and I'm going to see him in Galilee. I'm going ahead. I'm meeting him there. I'm preparing a greeting for the disciples and Peter. The one who has dropped the ball multiple times. The one who probably should be disqualified from ministry multiple times. Jesus is saying, tell Peter that I'm going to meet him there. And I think about my own personal life. How many times I've dropped my, the ball? How many times I have caused hurt and pain and shame to the cross, shame to the church, how in relationships I've hurt people, and, and I'm just going, man, ah, all because I'm just, I'm, I'm the Peter, the, you know, the shoot, let's go. Let, you know, come alongside me. We're going to take this town for Jesus. Not me. I'm not going to... Jesus, I'm there to the end. And Jesus is going, no, you're not. Right. Come on now. We know the truth. You think you're young. think you're powerful. think you got it all together. Sin still has a hold of you. But Easter. If you participate with me in putting to death sin, the junk, the distractions in your life, and you die to yourself, there's new life. There's hope for even you. Spurgeon says, says this as he talked about this section. If any of you have behaved worse to your master than others, you are peculiarly peculiarly called to come to Him now. You have grieved Him and have been grieving because you have grieved Him. You have been uh, brought to repentance after having slid away from Him. And now He steals your pardon by inviting you to Himself. We all drop the ball. We all grieve Jesus Christ's heart. We all. And if there's any of you who don't think that you are, that you're somehow better, you're not listening to Scripture very well. We all grieve Christ's heart. We all shame the Gospel. But, he says, tell the disciples and Peter, to meet me in Galilee. Jesus, at, at His resurrection, had every opportunity to go back to Jerusalem and say, hey, I'm here. You thought you, could, you thought you could keep me down? That's what you thought? 
You thought you could keep me down? Listen, religious leaders, let's try it again. Put me through the trial. Here I stand. Come on, bring it. I told you I would come back. And after three days, I would rise from the dead. Here I am. But where does he go? Jesus goes to Galilee, which is really the back country. It's kind of like south of uh, 30. Maybe south of Lairway. It's definitely Piatone. It's definitely Kankakee. Maybe Mantino. Man, you know, it's south. It's like that's the Galilee. It's the back country. And where does Jesus say he's going to go? He's going back where he started. He, he goes back to the back country and says, listen, I, these people are near and dear. They are the, the, they're the, the broken. They're the lost. And I am going back there and I'm telling them, you are restored. There's life. There's hope. And there are no exceptions in this deed of grace. There's no exceptions in this deed of grace. We were all to be pardoned. All were to be restored back into just this beautiful favor with God. And Simon Peter is us. Just as Simon Peter is going to be restored, if you're reading the other Gospels, Jesus says, how much do you love me? How much do you love me? How much do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And he's restored back again. Does Peter screw up? Oh, yeah. The Jerusalem Council later on in Acts. You know, Peter is just, he's missing the mark again. But I'm sure in his ear, it just echoes. He's re-reminded, Jesus restored me. And he gave me life again. He gave me hope. So throw up this this slide. If Christ next next one. If Christ is so ready to forgive us, we ought to be very ready to forgive others. If the if in the resurrection and the life that comes from that, the power of that the wholeness from that, the freedom from that, and Christ says, listen, I've come to restore you. You've dropped the ball again. It's, it's Sunday. Sunday afternoon, you dropped the ball again. Monday morning, you dropped the ball. You had a fight with your wife, your girlfriend, your, your boyfriend, your, your worker, your this, your that. You shamed, you stole, you lied. You're greedy, you're this, you're that. You reneged on your, your wedding vows in one shape or form or another. You, you're, you haven't been gracious. You haven't been giving. You haven't been generous. You haven't been this. Jesus says, listen, I forgive you. Again. It's a free gift of grace. Cling to the cross. Cling, cling to the work that I have done for you. Cling to it. Remember, die to yourself. But you know what? Come out. With life. Life. And if Jesus is so willing to forgive us, if Jesus is so willing to forgive us and our junk 
and our, our multiple daily times of dropping the ball, we ought to be very ready to forgive each other. How does that work out? That works out before we go to communion. Recognizing that this, this is a picture of the Gospel, of Christ's death and resurrection. That by His death, we have hope because of His forgiveness. And it's really nice when we evangelicals kind of have this, oh, it's just me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. But what about, how does that work out with the body of Christ? The extent that we are forgiven, we also need to forgive each other. So how does that work out? Maybe we need to re- or institute a pre-communion five minutes. Where we walk around and go, Sydney, I'm sorry. I violated this. I hurt you in this way. Will you forgive me? Because I need to go to the table with a clear conscience. Eric Bailey, you know what, man? I know. I told you I would do that. And you, you've lost trust in me. Do you forgive me? Gosh, I love you. Because the extent that God forgives us and restores us is the same way that it should happen here. The exact same way. The Christian community, the church of Jesus Christ, has got to be abundant in forgiveness. So that what? We can have life together. Whole life. Powerful life. So then when people come to our corporate worship, they go, wow, there is something abnormal here. They're forgiving each other. And really, they're forgiving each other. Not just like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. It's like real deep. There's tears. And there's restoration. And there's wholeness. I mean, we're saying, you know what? Just as Peter was restored, I'm restoring you. I'm participating in the Gospel with God doing all this work. That's what this is all about. And if we can't do that, again, I wonder, if we cannot do that work, is it worth the budget that we wrestled over on Saturday? Is it worth just, man, we've got to keep doing this. We've got we to give people guilt trips or we've got to challenge people to stewardship. But if we can't practice What the gospel says. We can't live into it. Is it worth it? Or does it just turn into religiosity? Here's the thing. I look at the at the end, how it really all ends. Turn to Revelation. One. John gets this. He, he's, he's called the, the beloved disciple. He's like kind of Jesus' favorite, even though nobody wants to say it. 
He's like the, that little kid brother. And in the, in the book of Revelation, John gets caught up, not in just to a dream, but into the reality of what is going to happen. And God opens up the veil and says, Look, this is it. Look at, start at uh, 9, 1 verse 9. I, John, your, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, in Christ, sorry, in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was speaking. And in the midst, and and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. His hair, the hairs of his head were like white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a, a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I'm the first and the last. And the living. I died. Here's the good news. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus says, I win. I got the trump card. And when we as a church believe and worship Jesus, we take the King's invitation to life and we live into it fully in all aspects. When it comes to social justice, when it comes to us understanding what is our responsibility in this broken and hurt and messed up world, we say, man, by the power of the gospel, Jesus has won. He's holding the keys to death and Hades. He's won. He has kicked butt. And with that power, we go. We go into these broken communities. We go into our broken homes. We go into our broken workplaces with the power of the gospel, and we live it out. We go into our broken relationships where forgiveness needs to be offered, and we offer restoration. How? Not on our own strength, but by the power of God. Because why? Jesus wins. And He's alive forevermore. When we've got to make the, the hard decisions about finances, about marriage, about life together as a community, 
How do we do it? Man, if you're going to try to do it on your own strength, you're going to be tired. I'm tired. And the good news of the Gospel is God wins. And it's by His strength that we do it. His life. We're, that's how we're, we're, we're incorporated into His life. Not me on my own. His life. For any, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. Fresh from the grave. For the old is gone and the new has come. That is life. Missio Day Church, we have got to understand what this life means. And it's not just about going out and doing evangelism. That's part of it. It's about how do we do life together in light of the resurrection. How do we do life together in this community so that we can be a, a city on a hill, a light for the world? How do we do that? It's only by applying the Gospel daily, moment by moment, and allowing God to transform us again and again and again. Being restored again and again. And restoring others again and again and again. We're running late. It's week 63, so why not stretch out today, right? My culmination. Come on. Let me have it. We are going to go to the communion table. Where we're reminded of Christ's work and His restoration and His, His offering of new life to us. But in Corinthians, we're also reminded that we need to check ourselves. And if you need to, and I, if you need to, do the awkward thing, but the restorative thing, offer forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Do the hard work of the gospel by the power of God. And then come to the table. Peter was invited back and fully restored. Fully restored. He's my brother in Christ. Peter, been dead a couple thousand years. My brother in Christ. You deserve it. We deserve it. The price has been paid.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and He broke it saying, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And the same way, after the meal, took the cup of blessing pouring it out, said, this is my blood. A new covenant poured out for you. A community of believers. Do this in remembrance of me. Those who are serving, please come. So up here is an opportunity for you to give towards benevolence as the Lord has given to you freely and graciously in the same way we ask you to give to those in need within our community. Come for all things.